When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Hello, awesomes, and welcome to episode 41 of the show. This week's episode is brought to you by HealthyMoving.com. My dear friend and healthy moving guru, Jen Hoffman, is ready to get each and every one of you started on your healthiest year yet. Stay tuned to hear more from Jen later in today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Rebecca of SimplyRebecca.com is joining me today, and we are going to talk about, you guessed it, all things New Year. We're talking about resolutions and one words and mantras for 2016. And then later in the show, we're going to roll up our sleeves and dish about doing the dishes (laughs) and decluttering and all of those things about keeping house that weigh heavily on our minds this time of the year. But for now, let's start off 2016 in the most wonderful way possible with Awesome of the Week. Rebecca, I can't wait to hear what you have brought for us this week. Okay, Megan. Well, as you know, sometimes our suggestions on Sorta Awesome can be a tad bit on the racy side. A little racy. But (laughs) this one is great even for those who prefer entertainment that's a little more tame. Mm -hmm. We're looking Mm -hmm. at you, Crystal Payne, also known (laughs) as Money Saving Mom and a Sorta Awesome Enthusiast. That's right. Hi, Crystal. (laughs) (laughs) My Awesome of the Week is the movie Joy, which my husband and I saw in the theater over Christmas. Oh, great. I cannot, I've not seen it. I can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah. Now, first of all, let's just take a moment of silence for everybody who is like jaw dropped that we went to the movies over the, over Christmas and did not see Star Wars. We did not. We're not Star Wars fans. We saw the movie Joy. (laughs) Good for you. I bet you had um, the theater all to yourselves. (laughs) Well, there was a lot of older people in there. So yes. Anyway, so the story of Joy is based off of a true story of a woman who invented the Miracle Mop, which is a mop that you can wring out without having to touch it with your hands. You don't have to squeeze it out yourself. It's this little contraption. It just does it all itself. So the story follows her family struggles and financial struggles, then how she was inspired to create the mop and the process that she went through and getting it manufactured, and then just all of the struggles of the journey of her, like, chasing her dreams to get this mop produced. It's been nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Picture in the Comedy and Music department. I I don't know if that's really a big deal. (laughs) I think so. I think the Golden Globes are really a great indicator of what people are loving. I think maybe even more than the Academy Awards, it seems like Golden Globes are, oh, what's the word? Maybe more approachable, more accessible kinds of media than the Academy Awards are. So, yeah. Well, Jennifer Lawrence, who plays the star role, of Joy. Um, she was also nominated for Best Actress for the Golden Globes. Very so cool. So we'll see how that pans out. But the movie's fun. Um, 
it has Jennifer Lawrence in it. It has Bradley Cooper in it. And those two have been paired together in several films already. It was done by the same director that's put them together in the past. I feel like it was really well done in terms of like the lighting and the editing and the character development and the, you know, the costuming and, and all of that. Um, and I like that it's on the cleaner side. So it's rated PG-13. There's no nudity. There's some kissing, but there's no sex. Um, there's really not any violence. There's a little bit of swearing. There is one F word used once and then a couple other swear words, but not very many. Um, and I looked up on commonsensemedia.org. They're a place that you can go to check to see how movies can relate to children and whether you whether they're appropriate. And they said it would be good for ages 14 and up. But, you know, of course, you should always use your own discernment on all that. But I like it because, yeah, it was a good story that wasn't super racy. That wasn't, you know, like Hunger Games is like big amongst like the teenage crowd now these days, the Divergent series. This is so much more tame. And if you have a teenager person in your life that you're looking to have a little one-on-one -on -one time with, this is a movie that I feel like you could you could safely take, of course, do your own research. But it was a good film. That I love it. And so it was good for a date night movie, too? Yes, we had an excellent time. It was a lot of fun. Good stuff. And what is your awesome of the week, Megan? Okay. Well, mine has to do with a topic that is on the minds of lots of us at the start of the new year. And that has to do with thinking about the way we eat, dieting, and the food we put into our body. Over the break, I listened to a couple of episodes of podcasts that I wanted to throw out there if this is something that you're thinking about as well. These were episodes that really, um, really spoke to me where I am right now. The first one is actually from uh, our sponsor for the show, Jen Hoffman. She has her own podcast called the Healthy Moving Podcast. And in episode number 32 of her show, she talks about the problem with your weight, which maybe seems like not something you would want to listen to. <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> if you're thinking about this stuff at the start of the year, but really... In it, she really makes some good points about how harmful looking at that number on the scale can be, how it can be discouraging when we're looking at our overall health and well-being. So that was a really good short listen with some really good perspectives on it. A much longer listen and one that was really powerful and super challenging to me is episode 105 from The Lively Show. I've mentioned The Lively Show on here a few times. I really enjoy it. Host uh, Jess Lively, um, uh, she's created this show, and she talks about values-based living and what that looks like in real life for a variety of people on her show. So in episode 105, she has a woman named Isabel Foxen Duke come on the show. Um, Isabel Duke is a health and wellness coach. And they talk about intuitive eating. In fact, the title of the episode is something like intuitive eating for the holidays. Well, as it turns out, they don't actually talk about what it looks like in the holidays as much as they really just talk about the groundwork and the framework for what intuitive eating is. Are you familiar with this concept at all, Rebecca, intuitive well, eating? It, it sounds like, you know, eat what sounds good. So lots of chocolate. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that I'm not thinking about it the right way. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that. So intuitive eating, it really is the concept that most of us, particularly women, have been taught and trained and made to believe that we cannot trust our intuition when it comes to eating, that we have to <laughs> deprive ourselves of things like chocolate or the tonight dough ice cream <laughs> or whatever. Um but that if we kind of go through this process of learning what intuitive eating looks like, that, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to say this all correctly, there have been books and blogs and podcasts all devoted to the topic. I'm just going to give you the highlights as I understand it. But the idea is that if we make all foods legal and stop depriving ourselves, stop dieting, stop, um, you know, cutting out whole categories of food that eventually our bodies and our brains will heal to the point where 
we truly can listen to ourselves and say, what does my body need right now? And if it's chocolate, we can trust that we can have a little chocolate to satisfy that craving that there was something going on where we needed to have some chocolate or being able to experience like if you're at um, at a wedding, having a piece of the cake without feeling guilty about it, just being able to be in the moment and enjoy it. And knowing that if you feel like you're craving a salad, that it's a good thing to eat a salad, which that's hard for me to make that leap because I hate salad. (laughs) But it was so interesting. It was really challenging. In fact, my reaction, Rebecca, was the same as yours in that it feels really scary. Like if I just trusted my intuition, what would I eat? Would I eat chicken sandwiches from McDonald's (laughs) all day? Or what would I be eating? So you've been there. (laughs) I've already done that. with a good excuse for pregnancy. But um, I don't know. I just keep thinking about it. I have not really taken any steps towards putting it into place. I'm sort of still in the processing and thinking about it. What what would intuitive eating look like? Am I brave enough to try it? Do I believe it's something that could work? I don't know. But it's one of those things that has just stuck in my brain over the past few weeks. So I knew I wanted to mention it on the show because maybe other people, again, this is the time of year when we're really thinking about do I need to go on a diet? Do I need to cut out carbs and those types of things? This is that time of year. So maybe give this a listen and see if it rings any bells for you too. And um, I just thought it was really fascinating. And like I said, it was really challenging, not the usual thing that we almost always hear about this time of year when we start to talk about changing our eating habits. So anyway, that was episode 105 of The Lively Show and episode number 32 from Healthy Moving Podcast. We'll put all of this information into the show notes for you. It is the new year. It is my favorite time of year. I love the beginning of the year. I love January. I didn't used to love it when I was a kid. I thought it was the longest, darkest, most boring month. (laughs) But as an adult, I truly love January because everything seems possible at this time of year. So Rebecca and I wanted to talk about approaches to the new year. Do we do resolutions? Do we do something different from resolutions? What has that looked like in our lives? Rebecca, are you a resolution type person or do you do something else? In the past, I have made resolutions, but I feel like they were the typical resolution of I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to exercise and I'm not going to think about this again after three weeks. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> so I I kind of gave up on resolutions for a long time. And then I started making more detailed lists. And that method actually worked a lot better for me. Oh, that's good. Um, but I, you do something completely different, right? What do you do? I do. Since 2009, I have been doing the one word approach, which a few people were kind of starting to talk about back in 2009. Now I feel like at the beginning of the year, you see it in a lot of different places. And it's this concept of instead of a resolution and really instead of listing goals or anything super specific like that, that you kind of pick a word that is your guiding word, your guiding principle or philosophy or whatever that takes you through the whole year. Some people do one actual word, and that's what I've done for the past few years is one word. Some people kind of expand on that and do more of like a mantra for the year, like our co-host Laura does a mantra, a couple of words that kind of guide her through the year. So I feel like for me, because maybe it's because I am an intuitive type, I'm an ENFP. I think in those big, broad, big picture things. I think that is why having a concept to drive the year works really well for me, a lot better than resolutions. And in a lot of ways, it works better than having detailed goals. But Rebecca, you're an ESFP, a a sensing type. You guys work best in the details. So it totally makes sense that you would be one to line out some detailed lists and ideas about what you hope to accomplish or do or bring into your life in the new year. So is that what you have done for this year then? Well, I, I started doing that. It was, I I did it for three years where I wrote these big lists and I actually shared them on my blog. And I feel like those were the most successful years of creating resolutions that I've ever had. Um, I called them my insane goals because Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I felt really inspired the very first year, and I wrote out this 
huge list of all these different things I wanted to do, kind of like a glorified to-do list, but it was for the entire year. And I was like, these goals are just insane. What am I thinking? And so that's why I started calling them my insane goals. And then what I did is every month I provided an update on my blog of the progress, which I'm not sure if that was super... um, super riveting content (laughs) for my (laughs) blog, but it was so motivating to me. I would look on a weekend, I'd be like, okay, well, what are we going to do? It's Saturday. I should look at my list and make sure that I do something so that I have something to report back. So I have found that accountability is huge for me. Yes. And yes, I got extremely specific. When I think about you creating like this one word, like that, I'm like, well, how do you measure if you're like on track with that? <laughs> right, right, yes. So that, so that is difficult for me in my S detail oriented brain to think. But for my goals, I would have all these different categories. I had a house category, and then I would list to organize and declutter specific rooms and spaces in my house, and I'd list out each of those spaces and cross them off as I went. Deep cleaning specific rooms in my house home repairs that we want to do, purchases for the house we want to do, like purchase deck furniture, buy a new computer. Um, Food goals was another category. Create freezer meals, can things like jam, salsa, pickles, have a garden. I had goals for each of my children, having daily devotions, weaning Grace off her pacifier years ago, (laughs) (laughs) updating baby books, even organizing our new nursery when Noah came along. I had reading goals and listed specific books I wanted to read. A big one for me, photo-oriented goals. Oh, my goodness. Purging digital images, uploading them to a photo printing site like Snapfish or Shutterfly, and creating those epic photo books. I am so far behind. (laughs) Every (laughs) single month, for like three years, I did this. Well, didn't get my photo goals accomplished again. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Still not done with those photo books. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. I thought you were going to say, I'm so glad I had those goals because now I'm all caught up on all of my photo printing, which I am not. not, So I'm pretty well caught up with having them uploaded to the site. So I consider that a little bit of a backup for my photos and my images, but I'm so far behind on actually creating the books. But then I had other fun goals too, like things like having regular date nights. One year we wanted to host monthly. We had people over to our house for supper once a month. Um, One year my goal was to keep my library fines under $5 for the whole year. And I failed miserably. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to confess. I would be horrified to confess at how much we currently owe Oklahoma City Public Library System (laughs) in library fines. It's terrible. I have just come to realize that the library is not going to be free for my family. And that's okay. It's a service I'm willing to pay for. so much fun looking back over these goals that I created over the three years that I did it on my blog. And I felt like accomplished. Like, yes, I did so many of these things. And some of them I failed miserably at, like the library one. But I really do like the idea of having something that I can check off my list, something specific to strive for. Love that. I love that. Well, I also went back and looked at some of my past words as a reminder of what I have been focusing on through the years. Now, like you said, in some ways, it is hard to think about if you just have one word, like, what does that look like lived out? How do you apply that as each week goes by, as each month goes by? One thing that was so fascinating to me was to look back from where I sit right now at the beginning of 2016, looking back on those years and the words I had chosen in a lot of ways, like in a lot of ways that I will not sit here and bore you all with, the words that I chose actually applied themselves to the year. You know what I mean? Like, for example- Almost like they're prophetic. Yeah. In a weird (laughs) way, they kind of were. The first one that I chose in 2009 was surrender, which, listen, (laughs) a word of caution before you choose surrender for a year. Oh, dear. (laughs) It's like praying for patience. It's just not always a great idea, but- Kali, in 2009, it was a very, very tough year for our family, for our marriage, for my husband's job, for me and myself, my identity and who I was. 
I could not have possibly known that at the beginning of 2009. But as I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was a huge year of surrender, whether I wanted it to be or not. really was. Um, Some other words I've chosen, I chose rejoice one year, I chose give. And one thing that I did, blogging actually really did help me in in some of these ways. In 2011, when I chose give, I did different um, sort of challenges to myself, but I incorporated it into my blogging community through that year. We did some different projects and things are all centered around the idea of give. So like you said, Rebecca, in a lot of ways, having that sort of public accountability Mm -hmm. for my year really helped. Um, I have chosen open. That was a great one. The year the twins were born, 2013, I chose the word serve, which I had a feeling would be kind of prophetic with having two new babies come into my life. I just really didn't realize how huge that would be in my year. In 2014, I chose the word grow. And interestingly, that is the year that in the fall of that year is when I knew it was time for me to close my blog. And closing a big project in a big part of your life like that seems kind of like the opposite of growing. But again, looking back, I think that I was growing so much that I knew that it was time for me to move forward with some different directions in my life. So, and then I have already confessed on the show to how I felt like I had failed my word for 2015, which was read. But in thinking about it and kind of talking it out with some people, I think that in January 2015, when I chose read, I thought like literally reading books was what that word was going to be. But I think, again, in looking back that it was more about reading who I am, what my strengths are, what is needed, how I can step into places that are needed, and bringing those things to life. And the podcast was a huge part of that for that could be applied to read from 2015. So here we are, the beginning of the new year. Do you have some insane goals for 2016? Okay, I don't. (laughs) Are you doing something different for 2016? Well, I kind of don't know yet. And I know it was kind of like on the agenda for me to share what I'm doing. (laughs) And I don't, I didn't do my homework. Um, One thing that keeps coming to me is the word family. And I know I just said how I don't like the idea of a one word, but I can see how in this next year, focusing on my family and pouring into my children and their needs and their their weaknesses and areas where they need to grow and big things that are coming. Noah's going to be starting preschool in the fall. And I'm just like, what in the world? Ah. I can see how that could be a good focus for me. Or maybe that perhaps should be the heading family and then my insane goals listed under that to... Oh, that's help good. Help me ob- obtain that and yeah. think of things in that way. Like if family is my big thing, then what things underneath do I have to accomplish? That right. helps my brain a little bit. Right. So I, I don't really know yet. <laughs> no, I like where you're going with that, though, that maybe it's like a hybrid of these different approaches. It's It's the big picture, big word, but then some actionable things that are going to happen to take that word through the whole year. I love that. Okay, well, if you do end up blogging about it, which you've done in the past, let us know so we can share that with listeners and we'll we'll help hold your feet to the fire for 2016 with your insane goals <laughs> if oh you want goodness. us to. <laughs> that sounds a bit scary. And we can put in the show notes links to some of my other goal lists if anybody if that method inspires you, I feel like it's been so helpful for me to see even what other people list for their goals. It helped me build my own. Um, so we can put some of those in the show notes. But yes. now what are you going to do Okay, 2016? 2016. My word came to me at the end of December. I am like this, Rebecca, I get really woo-woo about my words. I'm just going to tell you. I get like really mystical about it. I don't, I don't like make uh, a bunch of lists of words and then think about, I don't have like a logical, methodical process. I really do feel like the words just kind of come to me and I just sort of settle on one. So the word came to me at the end of December and I felt super scared about it until my friend Arianne said something that really clicked with me. So the word that came to me is push. 
Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, I don't, I feel scared. I feel almost as scared of push as I did to surrender. Um, but my friend Arianne said something that was really great. And it was actually when I was kind of processing out about how badly I really, I mean, I, I was laughing about it on the show about how badly I failed at Reed in 2015. But in a weird way, it made me a little bit gun shy for choosing a word for 2016. Like, what if I what if I have two fails in a row? So I was kind of processing some of that out. And my friend Arianne, who's super smart and so intuitive, was like, you know, I've never seen the one word as a demand on the year. She said it's more like a preview of the year. So kind of like what you were saying, that sometimes it can be a little bit prophetic, but that it might just be the key that you need to unlock what you have ahead of you in the year to come. So I'm choosing to frame it as that, that my word is push, and that that's going to be a preview for some of the things that come along in this year, and that I don't have to be scared about it, that that is going to be sort of the thing that drives my energy and drives my motivation, drives my decision-making as we go through 2016. Because I genuinely do feel like from the time I chose Grow back in 2014, that I've been growing in lots of ways and lots of different areas in my life. So now maybe the time has come to take on some of those um, remaining obstacles or challenges, or I don't know. I don't even know. At the end of this year, I may look back and be like, I had no idea how terrible push was going to be. (laughs) Well, I think if you replay the audio and listen to my verbal reaction, I think you could say, (laughs) I have an idea of how terrible the word push could be. (laughs) It's scary, but I'm going on the record with it. My word for 2016 is going to be push. So we shall see how that plays out. Now, I asked Laura and Kelly, our other co-hosts, if they had some words to share with us about what they have on their plate for 2016. So let's listen to those really quickly. Now, here, this. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Gordon, one of the co-hosts here at the Sort of Awesome Podcast. And that really isn't an announcement. It's my phrase of 2016. And since we're talking to each other and you can't see it written down, you're just going to have to picture it with me. The phrase should read now, period, here, H-E-R-E, period, this, period. It's really a reminder for me to try to stay present in my life now, here, this, this is what's important. This is what matters. And it stems from me realizing in the last couple of years that my super skills and multitasking are not really doing me as many favors as I would like to think they are. I get so fractured and my mind races here and there so that I am never fully present in the tasks that I am doing and with the people that are right in front of me right now. So now here, this is my goal for this year, to be fully engaged as much as I can in my present reality, in the time, the day, the minute, the activity, the people that I have right in front of me, right here, right now, now, here, this. Hey, y'all, this is Laura. My phrase for 2016 is follow through. Like everyone else, I have a lot going on all the time and more things fall through the cracks on a daily basis than I would like like my commitments, emails, even projects that I started years ago that are stuck in a closet or somewhere on my computer. So in 2015, I made a phrase called Only What Matters that I followed. And through that, I was able to pare down to the essentials in my life in homework and relationships. And now I want to take the threads of those things in 2016 and follow through. So that's my phrase, follow through. And I also asked the members of the Facebook community, don't forget you can find us on Facebook by searching Sorta Awesome Hangout. I asked some members of the Hangout group if they would tell us what they have going on for 2016. Did they have a word or a phrase or a guiding principle to get them through 2016? So let's hear a few of those right now, and then we will listen to a few more of them later in the show. Hi, Awesomes. This is Rachel from New York, and I just wanted to share my phrase for 2016. My phrase this year is rise and shine. I put some thought into it, and this is what I've come up with to just really get me going this year. I I feel happy even just saying it. It really is something that I think will help me throughout the year. I have a new job that I'm starting on Monday that I'm really excited about, and I really just like the idea of rising and shining as an example of you're out there, you might as well shine and do the best work that you can. 
and I think that will apply to a lot of aspects of my life, and I'm really excited to get this year going. I'm excited to hear what you guys have also. Hello, I'm Rebecca in Southern California. Um, this year is going to be a crazy year. My husband is getting out of the Marine Corps after nine and a half years, and we have no idea where we're headed or what we're going to do or what the future holds in any capacity. So my amazing sister encouraged me to just embrace it and go with it. And so 2016 is my year of adventure, and I am praying for a crazy one. Hi, Awesomes. This is Rachel in Bolivia, and I didn't do so hot on my one word for 2015, so I was just thinking for 2016 to pick one word that was maybe more befitting of the season of life that I'm in, and so I chose the word nurture. Um, firstly, so that I can focus on nurturing um, my own soul, uh, needs a little TLC this next year, and nurturing my two little children who are under the age of three. So this is just a season of uh, focusing kind of on on that concept of nurture. And also my husband and I are launching a nonprofit endeavor for our community in adoption advocacy. So a lot of nurturing hopefully will go down in 2016. And now, a message for you from Jen Hoffman of HealthyMoving.com. Hello, awesomes. It's Jen Hoffman from HealthyMoving.com here. I have a question for you. What you doing right now? I mean, I know, you're listening to this awesome podcast, but what are you doing with your body? Are you sitting in a chair? Maybe you're standing, or perhaps you're driving in the car. Or maybe you're getting some bonus healthy moving points and you're out for a walk. I have a great, no, let's strike that, an awesome resource for the Sorta Awesome community this month. It is my top five tips for how to get the movement your body needs for health and wellness while you're listening to your favorite podcasts. In order to grab your copy, it's a printable, you can download it and keep it forever. Just head to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome. Or you can also, if you're a texter, you can text the word sorta awesome, all one word, no space, to 33444. Again, that's sorta awesome to 33444. Okay, we're back. And like I said at the top of the show, Rebecca and I wanted to spend a little time talking about a topic that almost all of us are thinking about at the beginning of the year. Is it the time of year to really dig in and declutter and get rid of the stuff that we've been looking at for the past year and thinking, I've got to get that stuff to Goodwill. I've got to get this stuff moved out of my house. Is it the time to get into that? Or for those of us who spent the last year thinking about Queen Marie and various decluttering things and approaches. Are we already so burned out on all of that that we just can't bear the idea of any more decluttering in January? Rebecca, I know you and I have talked in passing about the Cone Marie Method, the idea of keeping in your house only what sparks joy. You had had some resistance to the concept because her method is so, so, so detail-oriented that it can feel like it would be hard to get through. I would love to hear, where are you right now in decluttering? Do you feel like your house is clutter-free? Is it clutter-filled? Are you somewhere in the middle? If you could see what I'm looking at right now in my house, <laughs> it is so clutter-filled. There's like chaos everywhere right now. Um, I... So that method that you talked about comes from the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Yes, And I feel like that book made decluttering sexy again, yeah. right? Yes, Everybody's definitely. into it. Everybody's doing it. But I honestly feel like I have been thinking about and processing decluttering for years before that. So I'm a little bit burned out on it, to be honest. I read the book. And I had a few struggles with the book, which have kind of held me back. I haven't even really started her method, to be completely honest. But first of the struggles that I had with her book was that her brain simply does not work the same way that my brain works. It is obvious that this woman 
thrives off of organizing and throwing things out and structure and routine. And that is not me at all. And one of the things that I have learned is that that's okay that I'm that way and that she's that way. And that doesn't mean that she is better and that I am horrible. It just means that we literally think about things differently. And that's okay. I am a huge fan of the blog and the podcast, A Slob Comes Clean. And Nani there has a decluttering book called Drowning in Clutter that honestly is my favorite decluttering book. And a big reason why I like it is because she's a self-proclaimed slob. She struggles with the same things that I do. And one of the things that she's always preaching is that cleaning and organizing books and blogs are often written by people who enjoy cleaning and organizing and decluttering. And so what are the rest of us supposed to do? We need somebody who's on our side somebody who can teach us how to train our brains to think a different way. And so I really actually love her book a lot. Um, The other big struggle that I had with the life-changing magic of tidying up was that she doesn't talk much about what to do with the items that you're choosing to declutter. She often uses the word discard, but then she doesn't really say in what method you discard things. And part of my upbringing and heritage, I feel like really strives to see the value in things. And so the idea of just throwing something away that somebody else could use or that I could use someday or that maybe I should sell because it's actually valuable and I could use that money, that really has me like hung up on starting this process because then I get overwhelmed thinking about, but what am I going to do with all the things I choose to get rid of? Because it's not just like so easy for me to just drop everything off at Goodwill, which I should do. I recognize this is a problem of mine. I should not be so, uh, I don't even know what to say. So like paranoid about letting go of something that has some value, either real, true monetary value or something that I'll end up needing later. But I struggle with that. So I haven't started her method. Because I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And it and it can be overwhelming for sure. I, I like from her well, I, I really like the philosophy. I really like the philosophy. It's different from other decluttering approaches in that most decluttering approaches talk about, you know, kind of go through room by room and get rid of the stuff that you don't want. Her the the essence of her philosophy is really like start with the idea that you're getting rid of everything and, and only put back the stuff that you really love and that really sparks joy for you. I love that concept. I have found it incredibly difficult to apply as a mom of four kids because the amount of time that it would take to do that for each category, I just, that's where I get overwhelmed. It's, it's not even the, it's not the philosophies of it that feel overwhelming to me. It's the application of it that I just can't figure out how to make it happen in real life. And the other issue, too, is if you do live with other people, like, you can't determine for someone else what sparks joy, you know, like, it's really, I've really come to believe this as my children have gotten older, that, um, that they are allowed to have their own space and their own things, too, that this, you know, this is our home. But especially when it comes to their room, which is a constant source of tension between my girls and I, I... I am having to learn how to respect their autonomy and their space in their own room and, and how to navigate that because I want to go in there and be like, this is all a bunch of junk, (laughs) which is not very respectful to them as humans and as people who are growing and, and learning what they love and what sparks joy and, and what doesn't. And, and if you have a spouse and if they are not gung ho on like, let's clear everything out and let's only keep what sparks joy it can be, it can feel like you're stalling out, even if you do your own things, which I have done. I have totally conmarried my clothes and my books. I have done those things and that felt great. But my, I'm only one person out of six that lives in this home. <laughs> so as much work as I did do, sometimes I still look around, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just still so much. And Clothing is actually one of the easier ones, I think, for me, because I'm pretty quick to get rid of stuff that doesn't fit anymore. Like, I feel like if I don't, it keeps coming through the laundry somehow. 
<laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm not watching this thing anymore. It is a size 4T. Nobody here wears a 4T. It's out. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the, in terms of the other stuff, it can be really hard to figure out how can I be at peace living in a home where like not every single thing here sparks joy because there's a lot of stuff here that's not mine. You know what I mean? Right. And when I think about the day-to-day clutter and what is bringing me down, it's not the clothes in my closet, although that could use a significant makeover. It is my kids' stuff everywhere. Yeah. And I just feel like that's that's just motherhood. That's just the way that it is for this stage of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've done that has really helped, I have had, I've gone back and forth in my mind about this, but we have decided, we've done this in the past, we've kind of decided once again, we are going to keep our bedroom as a kid-free zone, which that's hard for me because my parents were not like that at all. My, we were all, there's four kids in my family. We were always in and out of my parents' room. If any of us were sick, we got to sleep in mom and dad's bed that night. I mean, it was always like a thing that we could be in their room, but Kyle and I both have talked about this thing of living with four kids and their stuff is everywhere, that it's fair and reasonable that just one one bedroom of the house is kid-free. There's no toys in here. Nobody's stuff is in here except for ours. And we have a little bit more control over this space so that at the end of the day, because one of the sort of driving philosophies too of the Cone Marie Method is that you when we want to work to create a space that feels so inviting, so comfortable, so relaxing that you want to be at home and that you enjoy the time that you're at home. So as I've talked about many times on the show, Kyle and I, our biggest moment of bonding throughout the day is we love to climb into bed at the end of the day, watch a Netflix or an Amazon show. And, you know, that's kind of how we round out our day together. And so if we can keep our just our bedroom tidy, organized, peaceful, calm, and kid-free, that is actually bringing a lot of peace to my life to make it feel like, okay, the house, it may never get to to recondo standards as long as we have kids under feet, but at least this one little square room of the house can. So we're experimenting with that. I'll let you know how that goes. That's a great idea. Please do keep us updated. I will say, too, that there are several, there are more than a few enthusiasts of decluttering and organizing in the Hangout group. And one of them took the initiative to start a separate, a sort of spinoff group on Facebook for people who want to tackle the challenge of decluttering throughout the year. So she started a Facebook group called Sorta Tidy. T-I-D-Y. Search for it on Facebook if you want to. Come and join us over there. She has taken the uh, the thing of uh, decluttering your house and broken it down where it's a month-by-month challenge. So if that is something you're into, come hang out with some other awesomes who are going to be working on decluttering throughout the year. Now, Rebecca, something related to decluttering is just general day-to-day care of our homes, which again, for me, is like, I don't have <laughs> I don't have weeks or a month that I can devote to a total declutter of my house because if I did that, the day-to-day stuff would fall by the side and our whole house would be a pig pen in no time. You gotta keep up with that day-to-day homekeeping, whether you are a person living by yourself or if you live with a tribe of kids under your feet. All of us deal with this on a day-to-day basis. I know you have a really super popular blog post on cleaning that you had shared with me. It's starting to make its rounds on social media again. I would love to for you to tell us a little bit more about that, what inspired it, and what do you think makes that post so popular? What keeps it so popular? Well, here's the story. After Noah, my youngest, was born, my mother-in-law gave me the gift of a cleaning lady. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, my word. It was amazing. And so for six months, I didn't have to mop my floors, scrub my kitchen sink, or clean the bathrooms. Nice. It was heaven, let me tell you. But then when that was done, I felt like I needed to get back into some sort of routine of cleaning again. And to kind of jumpstart that process, I decided to host a cleaning challenge on my blog, and I called it the Just Clean Something Challenge. And the goal of that was to clean at least one thing every single day for a month. 
if you struggle with having a cleaning routine, a regular system, then you wanted to start with the basics and just clean something above and beyond what you normally were doing. If you already have a good routine in place, then the goal was to do some more deep cleaning or spring cleaning type of things. All you had to do was clean something every single day. And so after completing that challenge, I wrote the blog post titled, Nine Things I Learned from Cleaning Every Day for a Month. And that is what has been going a bit crazy again. And I feel like the reason why people really resonate with that post and really like it so much is because it gives people permission to hate cleaning. (laughs) That's good. Yes. In the post, I acknowledge that there are several things that impact my lack of cleaning, such as being busy or needing moments of rest and not being able to dedicate nap time with cleaning tasks every single day. And finally, the fact that as I mentioned before, that my brain is just wired in a way that really truly, everybody's brains are wired in a way that impacts how you handle cleaning routines in your home. And my brain doesn't like routine and doesn't like schedules. And so like the little day planners that give you a specific cleaning task for every single day of the year, or the idea of Mondays as bathrooms and Tuesdays as cleaning bed sheets and you know that like makes my skin crawl. I can't stand that. And I think part of it is that I'm more creative in nature and again, Noni from a slob comes clean has mentioned that she has seen that pattern again and again that creative types in the way that we use and function with our brains tend to have you know trouble staying on top of their regular cleaning tasks. So I really feel like that is what is driving people to this post again and again, is that, you know, nobody really loves cleaning, or at least the people that are reading my blog post don't, and they want somebody (laughs) to relate to, and they want somebody to give them permission to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. You can still do it, and there's things that you can do that will help, but, you know, it's it's okay. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that most of us just kind of look at, at cleaning, whether it is day-to-day stuff, if it's a deep clean, it's just like, that's what you do when you live on this planet. You've got to take care of your stuff. And so, yeah, that makes sense. So that's super interesting to me that you do not like to have a cleaning routine because I totally have cleaning routines. So interesting. Um, mine, though, are more like for my everyday things, like I am a bed maker. Like I have to, when I get up in the morning, after I get everybody off to school, I make my bed immediately. Do you make, are you a bed maker, Rebecca? I make my bed because my husband likes that the bed is made. Okay. Here's a big confession. I kind of don't care about most things when it comes to cleaning. Like really? I, I do it because like you said, I'm a human being living on earth and it's what you do. But I kind of just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will. That's interesting because as I'm thinking about it, a lot of my cleaning routines, the cleaning routines that I have, I have built because they help me to function better and to feel better as a human. So, for example, I never, ever, ever, ever go to bed with dirty dishes in the kitchen because I know that I hate the feeling of waking up in the morning and there's dirty dishes waiting on me. I cannot stand that feeling. So one of my routines is before bed every single night, I make sure that the kitchen is cleaned up and the dishwasher is running. And it feels, I have done that for so long. And I know the reward for myself is so great to wake up to a clean kitchen that it actually is, as much as I don't like really enjoy cleaning, it's very comforting to me to have that evening kitchen cleanup routine. So yeah, that's really interesting. Do you have, okay, let me ask you this. First of all, do you have outside help when it comes to cleaning at all? Like, My husband. Have, okay. If you consider that. Sure. Yes. Outside help. He's inside help. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because that's, that's something that's interesting about Nate and I in our relationship is I in general don't care that much and he cares quite greatly. Okay. Okay. So do you, you guys, do you like split up the chores? Does he have things that he like, that's just what 
Nate does. He, you know, he cleans the kitchen or whatever. Or is it just kind of on an as-needed basis? Like, this needs to be done. Will you do this kind of thing? I would say that my main emphasis throughout the day is on trying to control the chaos in the kitchen. And so when Nate comes home from work, I don't want breakfast and lunch dishes to still be sitting out, needing to be dealt with. Like, that's all taken care of. But then after supper... Sometimes we tag team, but usually he is the driving force in cleaning up the kitchen after supper every night. Okay. And then as far as other tasks, he doesn't really like things to be messy in terms of clutter and things like laying around. He doesn't care so much about things being clean. So he's not going to go into the kit, go into the bathroom and insist that, you know, he wipes down everything and that everything is super clean. He will go into the bathroom and make sure that like the towel is nice on the rod and that there isn't stuff laying around. So <laughs> he likes cleaning because he likes to see progress. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally he makes has- sense. He has a job that is very people-oriented, mm-hmm. and it's difficult at times to see the success meter going up. But when he cleans up the kitchen, he can very clearly see the positive progress and impact that he is making. Yeah. So he really likes to go through and clean things up as in terms of like tidy things up. I will do more bursts of cleaning and I mean like actual cleaning with cleaning products cleaning when we have company coming over that's <laughs> like a yes. big driving force <laughs> for me <laughs> that is so interesting I I don't know if I can say that I have like one way that that we accomplish things Kyle Kyle and I have kind of we've done this for years we've been married for seven 17 years? Is that right? <laughs> you know, it's been a long time when you can't even keep track. Um, he takes care of all of the outside stuff, cars, yard, all of that stuff. And I take care of inside stuff. And so, and he, but he does not mind, he does not mind messy, really. Um, he doesn't like it when he can't find his own things. So if he puts something somewhere, he wants, he gets really frustrated if it's not in that same place that he left it. The other stuff really and truly doesn't bother him. And that has been a really big shift for me in my own mind because when I was growing up, my dad is, was sounds more like Nate. He wanted everything to be tidy and orderly. And I can remember growing up like about four o'clock, my mom would just start like the four o'clock freak out and we all had to like clean up all the stuff before my dad got home at five. And that ensured a peaceful evening for everybody. And so I found I very naturally also did a four o'clock freak out. This was back before Kyle um, Kyle works at home now, but when he had a, a more regular office job, I would like go into freak out mode around four o'clock, just like when I was a kid and try to get everything picked up. And one time, one day he was like, why are, why are you freaking out? Like, what's going on with this? And uh, basically said, you know, like, I would rather have a, a calm and, and peaceful and happy wife when I come home rather than somebody who's like freaking out trying to pick up stuff. And I don't even care about that. (laughs) So sometimes those conversations are good to have. Like, what are our expectations here? What are we working towards? So anyway, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I'm really just interested to hear like what your routines look like in terms of do you have a one big cleaning day per week or even per month? Or is it just kind of hit and miss in terms of like what needs to be taken care of right now? It is totally hit and miss. Yeah. I have no routine. Okay. Okay. There are people who are like <laughs> freaking out listening to this. <laughs> if they, if all of our listeners were dead, they would be rolling in their graves. <laughs> you know, I confessed in episode 37, the confessional show, that I have time passage awareness disorder yes, when it yes, comes yes. to my cleaning. So right. I created that checklist and I to help me with my time passage awareness disorder because I don't have a Monday dedicated to bathrooms, Tuesday dedicated to laundry. I, I don't I don't have anything. I I just kind of Yeah, when it needs it, you take care of it. No, I, I get that. Right. I am moving more towards that. I did not used to be that way before the twins were born. When I had the girls, just the girls at home, um, I had a very steady, predictable, reliable cleaning day. It's usually Saturday mornings. Um but now I don't really. About once a month, 
after bedtime, usually on a Saturday night, I will deep clean the downstairs because that's where we are most of the time. And it gets, it can get pretty dirty if you don't do like, like the whole, like the big clean. And I really like to do the big cleans after bedtime because one of my biggest challenges and frustrations of cleaning when my kids are up is that it immediately looks messy again. Right. (laughs) And I find that to be just like a heart crushing. (laughs) So I put everyone to bed a little early and then I just, you know, put in my earbuds and put on some music or some podcasts. And I actually really enjoy that because it's kind of like I'm in my own zone. I'm cleaning. Nobody's messing things up. And I know at least once a month, the big stuff gets taken care of. But the other stuff like you know, like cleaning the mirrors in the bathroom, or I don't even know, uh, dusting. I used to be, uh, you know, every single week you have to dust. And now I'm just like, well, if it gets really dusty in here, I'll take a few minutes and dust and that's it. (laughs) We have company over quite a bit and it really does help. I'm sure it does. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I think I only dust when company is coming. (laughs) (laughs) But if you have people over often, then that totally makes sense. Yeah. So I think that we can all agree. I mean, each of us have our own challenges, our frustrations when it comes to cleaning. And, you know, going back to even when Kyle and I were married for six years before we had kids, it was just the two of us. And he was coaching college football. He was hardly ever home. It was really a lot of times like I lived by myself. And even then I had challenges and frustrations when it came to keeping house. So it's just kind of one of those things that we all, I guess we figure out what is our what are, what are the biggest deals to us and how can we create systems or approaches that work for us to get those big deals taken care of? I think all of us also have in our toolbox, so to speak, I think we all have little secrets and little pro tips that we've come up with that are helpful for us along the way. Um, things that make things easier, things that are just like little nifty tricks, either that somebody else taught us or that we came up with on our own. Rebecca, do you have, I know cleaning is not necessarily your favorite thing, but have you discovered some little things along the way that just make the tasks more enjoyable for you? Well, the number one thing that makes the tasks more enjoyable is listening to podcasts while I clean. I mean, I have to do that. It's just, it's a must. It is a must, life changer. Um, But number two would be for me, using more natural-based cleaning products. I've found that since I am several years out now to using more natural cleaners, that when I am exposed to more conventional cleaning products, that the smell is just overwhelming. And I literally feel different physically. And I don't think I was aware of that so much before I had this like huge detox period of several years of using natural cleaners. I mean, there are so many options out there. You Google it, go to anybody's blog, and they probably have some recipe for like an all-natural, all-purpose cleaner. I really like using Shackley's Organic Natural Cleaner. It's super concentrated, and the bottle will last you absolutely forever and ever in a day. We can put a link in the show notes. And it's something that I can trust with my kids. So they can clean. I mean, they don't clean that much, but they can, and I don't have to worry about I don't want to worry about it. It's made a big difference. I feel so much better cleaning with things that I know are safe for me and for my little ones to be breathing in. I love that. That's so important. I think that the tools that you use, the uh, the actual like cleaning supplies, I really, maybe it's because of my highly sensitive stuff. I really think that can make a big difference in your motivation to get in there and roll up your sleeves and get to cleaning and also just your personal enjoyment of the moments that you have to spend cleaning anyway. One little secret that I came up with that has been so revolutionary to me that it's so stupid though. <laughs> I discovered this. I never would have realized this probably if we did not um, buy a, a home that has mostly wooden floors. As I grew up with carpeting, the majority of places that we lived before we bought this home had wall-to-wall carpeting. And so I'd never really thought about this. But now we have wood floors throughout in our home. And so I spent a lot more time sweeping than I ever had before. And one day it occurred to me that when I sweep up all of my dust piles in each room, I don't have to mess with the dustpan and trying to get every last little bit in there. I can just take my vacuum and pull the hose out and then zap up all of that dust pile with the vacuum. And it just goes right into the vacuum bag with all the other vacuumed up stuff. 
Oh my word, Megan! I was why like, have I never <laughs> thought of that? <laughs> okay, I feel better because I was in my like mid thirties before I realized that was a thing that you could do. And every time I do it, I'm like, I am so smart. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I think that makes a big difference. I mean, where you grew up and how you grew up with carpet and everything. Because right. I grew up in a home with wall to wall carpet in every single room. I'm not kidding bathrooms, kitchen, carpet wow. in yeah. that house. And so then when I moved to a house that didn't have carpet, I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. How do you mop? Like you, right. you have, you literally have to learn how to do these things. Yes. Another challenge for me though, is we live in a, an old home. It's over 90 years old. Rebecca, I know your house is really old too. And I think that makes a huge difference in that Maybe I'm just using this as an excuse, but I think old homes get dirtier more quickly than new construction. Oh, that's totally what my problem is. 100%. Right? It's not me. It's not my family. My house is 160 plus years old. It's totally, I am totally saying, the house's fault. I really do believe this, though, because there's just, there's cracks. There's just the dirt around, like, Around the window panes, there's cracks in the floor. There's just places for the dirt to get in that are not, they're just not sealed off the way new construction is. I 100% believe this, so don't ruin this for me, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, can I just take a moment here and just say that you do bring up a good point that when we're talking about cleaning and we're talking about routines, there are so many different variables that go into all of this. Yeah. Your home the job of you or other people who live in your home, how many children you have and what ages they are, you know, dirt and your level of dirt and your tolerance of dirt really varies so much from person to person, from home to home. And I think that if we all just take a big deep breath and then just try not to maybe care quite so much and try not to be maybe so neurotic or try not to be keeping up with <laughs> your girlfriend who you think has a perfectly clean uh, home when yes. in reality she was scrubbing the toilet five minutes before you walked in the door too. I mean like, <laughs> oh, let's just all, we all have issues. We all have issues. Some of us care way too much. Some of us don't care nearly enough. We all have issues. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to figure out how to make these routines or lack of routines work for mm. each of us. Well, I wanted to take a minute to hear from just a few more awesomes about their guiding thoughts and words for 2016. Hello, awesomes. This is Rebecca from Denver, and my phrase for 2016 is pay cash. Yes, on the surface, it's about managing my wants and needs in the family budget, but there's more to it. I'm going to try not to say yes to things unless I have the necessary funds on hand. And for me, that means actual time and emotional muscle to handle whatever the task is. Hopefully, by changing my mindset, I might actually build up a account of time and energy so that I say yes to the important stuff and don't waste my time on things that aren't important. And hopefully by next January, I won't be looking side-eyed at my visa bill. Thank you. Hi, Megan. My name is Danielle Hicks. I live in South Central Kentucky, and I love listening to your show. My word for 2016 is peace. 2015 was not so peaceful for my family. My father-in-law and my father were both diagnosed with cancer. My mother suffered a heart attack, and my husband suffered an illness that resulted in a surgery and a short hospital stay. So the word peace for 2016, to me, is a positive outlook for the year to come. And here's to hoping for wonderful health and happiness and peace for our family. Hello, my name is Randy, and I'm from the Los Angeles area. My word for the year is honesty. Uh, this word kind of chose me as it began humming around in my head in December, which is what usually happens. Um, I'm not exactly sure how this will play out, as I'm certainly not someone who lies, <laughs> but uh, I think this year I'm going to be challenged to make decisions that are true to myself and what I know to be right. I'm excited to see how this plays out personally, as my husband and I just started a family. We now have a precious son to raise, and also professionally, as I own my own business, and there are always decisions to be made, big and small, and... Yeah, I don't know. I just know that when I'm truly honest with myself and with others, life is clearer and simpler, and I'm looking forward to that. Thanks. 
Hi, this is Roseanne Green, and my 2016 word of the year is groundhog. And that is because I was on the Sorta Awesome group, and I saw that someone was doing a post about this, and their word was groundling. But at first glance, when I looked at it, I thought it said groundhog. And I actually got like a little bit excited, like, oh, that's so interesting. So of course I kind of laughed about it, but then I just could not get it off my mind. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go with it. So I started thinking, okay, Groundhog, Groundhog Day. That is the movie where every day Bill Murray gets to get up and start over again and redo the day until he gets it right. So I decided to take the angle that I'm allowed to just have a do-over anytime I want to. So I've been having a lot of fun with it. That's my story. Thanks for everything you do. Love and appreciate you here in the Green Household. Okay, thank you guys so much for sharing all of your thoughts on the new year. We would love to hear from everybody. Do you have a word? Do you have a mantra? Do you have some insane goals for 2016? I hope that you'll find us on social media and share some of those things with us. Rebecca, where can we find you on the web? You can find me at simplyrebecca.com. And I'm also Simply Rebecca on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Periscope. All right. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. If you're on Instagram, come find the show. We're at Sorta Awesome Show there. And you can also find the whole awesome community on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. The Sorta Awesome team wants to wish each and every one of you all the best for 2016. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.